All righty, we are back in First Peter this morning. Uh, we kind of took a bit of a break. We were going through First Peter, and then we took a break to go through the seven letters, and now we're back to First Peter. So, um, one of the main themes of this book, if you, in case you forgot or weren't here at that time, is is how Christians are supposed to kind of view themselves in this world. The Bible calls us exiles or aliens. And, and that, that's a weird thing to be called. Um, most of us probably don't like the thought uh, of that, that, that I don't want to be an exile. I don't want to be a, you know, a weirdo more than I am already. Um, but it does help to explain why we feel so out of place here sometimes. If you ever wonder kind of why that is, I like the way C.S. Lewis put it once. He, he said, if when we find um, that we don't fit into this world, the most logical explanation is that we were made for another one. And that helps me. <laughs> so we are strangers passing through a strange land on our way to our permanent home with the goal of bringing as many people with us as we can. That's who the Christian is. But accepting that we are foreigners can be difficult. It means that we aren't going to be accepted by those of this world. And nobody likes to be treated like an outsider. So we have to find a way to navigate this reality. And the temptation will be for us to, to want to compromise who we are, maybe hide it a little bit so that we just kind of fit in or blend in. This is kind of like there's a state south of us that starts with the letter C. And I've noticed that when, when they move to Central Oregon, they do this, what I'm talking about, right? You don't, you want to get your license plate changed as quickly as possible. You got to start saying different things. Like you don't say, bro, I'm stoked. Can't say that. It's a giveaway. You can't talk about you want to get on get on the 97 and then go over to the 20. You, you can't talk that way. If somebody mentions in and out, you just want to get kind of like a blank look on your face. Like, what? What are you? I'm not. That's what you have to do to blend in. Otherwise, they're going to know. Right. And then eventually you just you just kind of settle in as a local and everything's good. And that's what I think that's what Christians try to do sometimes. Is they try to just keep it on the DL. You know, don't don't talk about it much. So what we end up doing is is we, we, we begin to kind of just get comfortable here and, and make ourselves at home and, and try to become residents. And that way we're not treated as outsiders. Well, what describes you better right now? Are you a foreigner who's here like with a temporary visa or are you more of a local? That's a hard thing to think about. When we decide which kingdom we belong to and which kingdom we're investing in, this one or Christ's kingdom, it makes all the difference. It changes everything. And we need to come to grips with the fact that we are foreigners here. When we begin to understand that, we begin to understand how important it is for us as God's people to be on our best behavior among the locals. It would be kind of like if, if you were dropped right now today into China or Iran with a big sign around your neck that said, I'm a Christian, how would you behave? <laughs> what, would you, would you um, start just kind of criticizing everything about their country and the way things are going? You would probably keep, you know, be on your best behavior. That's what we would do. That's what an ambassador does. When, when an ambassador goes to one of these countries that represents the United States of America, they go over there with the idea of being on their best behavior, representing their country well. Well, as a Christian, one, you would do it for self-preservation because that's, you know, I certainly would because uh, that's how I am. But you would also want to do it to to make sure that you're representing Jesus well in this place. You would do your best to live respectfully and honorably among them. And the big hope in that is that even though people around us 
may not like us and may see us as foreigners, they won't be able to deny the reality of God in our lives when they see the way we live. That's the big hope. They should have to admit that, you know, they're the best citizens. They're the hardest workers. They're the best neighbors, best employees, nicest customers, you know, the best tippers, right? That's the kind of thing that that they should see. I would hope that when non-Christians talk about me behind my back, they would say things like, he's kind, he's generous, he seems content. Uh, This is what I hope they would say. I didn't say this is what they're saying. (laughs) This is what I hope they would say, Uh, that, that he's, you know, he's loving, those kinds of things. But I also would hope that they would say, but he really believes in God and he really believes in the truth of God's word and he is sold out for that that they would say both of those things. And that's exactly what Jesus was like. If you think about that, everybody knew where he stood. There was no question about what he believed and who he followed, but, but they really couldn't say anything legitimately bad about the way he lived. I mean, people said bad things about Jesus, but they, they really didn't have a leg to stand on. He did nothing but good and loved people where he went. Well, one of the greatest ways that we accomplish this in, in, in our world this kind of reputation is the way that we view and respond to authority, view those in authority and respond to those in authority. And it's even more important for a foreigner to do this well, right? Peter understands this firsthand. He was, he was one of those guys that sometimes didn't get it right when it came to authority. He knows how difficult it's going to be for us to do this and navigate it well. And so he addresses it in this letter. Now, I think we all know that God is our ultimate authority. We get that. But, but sometimes he's going to put people in our lives that are authority over us that, that aren't going to be godly, that aren't going to, um, you know, treat us the way we, we hope they will treat us. And that makes it hard. How do we willingly submit to authority when they don't like us or like what we stand for or when they treat us poorly because of it? And that's what these Christians that Peter is writing to are beginning to experience. And it's what we're starting to see happen around us today. So in chapter two, Peter's going to address how a Christian is supposed to behave when governments begin to discriminate against us because of our beliefs. He's going to talk about what about when employees treat us unfairly and harsh in a harsh way. What about when an unbelieving spouse begins to reject their believing spouse and treat them poorly? I love that God's word provides hope, something for us to hold on to as exiles when these things begin to happen. The first way that God's word does this is by just simply telling us that it's what's expected. <laughs> that's, that's, that's helpful, right? You can expect this to happen. I like that it tells us that. The, the, the weird thing is that there's so many Christians that I know that don't seem to accept this or understand this. I, if you're like me, you're one of those people that I hear what I want to hear. I'm really good at that. So, you know, some of us, you know, I'm going through some doctor's appointments and stuff with my heart right now. I bring joy to those doctor's appointments with me because I know that she will listen in a way that I won't. I've learned that that's, she's my greatest advocate in that regard. And this happened when we went to the doctor the first time. We went to the cardiologist. He said all kinds of things that day. And I listened to them, and I heard what I wanted to hear. I walked out, and I said, well, this, is, this isn't bad at all. Sounds like, you know, I'm going to have to just have maybe this little thing. And, then I, and she's like, Brent, <laughs> he said you have to have open-heart surgery. He talked about the recovery time. He talked about, I mean, she started saying all these things, and it started coming back to me. It's like, Oh yeah, he did say all that stuff, (laughs) but I didn't want to hear that. So I heard what I wanted to hear. And I feel like that's what Christians do. Too many Christians, you know, they, they believe this thing that they've been told that if you come to Jesus, 
you, you know, all your problems in life are going to go away forever. You're going to just have money pouring in and, and riches and good health. And all. Now, don't get me wrong. Coming to Christ means that we're going to have abundant, wonderful life. But it doesn't, nowhere is this stuff promised. In fact, if, the, if you read the Bible accurately, it says the closer we imitate Jesus, the more we can expect to be treated like him. That's, it's so clear, but we don't want to hear that. So that's the first thing that God's word does is it just tells us the truth about this. The second thing that it does is it it helps us to understand what is the posture and mindset that we're going to have to have in order to deal with like this kind of authority that comes our way in life. Uh, How do we do this, you know, in a way that will glorify God in this challenging world? And he's going to give us that posture. And then he's also going to give us like practical instruction as well as a practical example. Both of those things are true because he's going to show us and remind us how Jesus lived. There's a very specific way that a Christian is supposed to behave in these instances. And unfortunately, it's not what we see a lot of Christians doing today. So Peter's going to focus on the three primary areas that I mentioned already, government, vocation, and marriage. He, He accepted all of these as authorities placed by God. They get questioned in our day. He didn't even feel the need to defend them. He just lays them out there like, this is the reality. Here it is. I'm going to do the same thing. So, and I get the easier one. Chad gets the hard one next week. So, so I feel pretty good about that. I did schedule it, but it was just a total coincidence. I promise. Last time we kind of saw how the Christian is supposed to submit to government and civil authority, even when they're corrupt and unwise. Today, we're going to look at how he expects us to submit to individuals who are directly in authority over us in more of an up-close and personal way. And then next week, we're going to look at how he expects Christian wives to do this in relation to an unbelieving husband. So I'm really thankful that God's word lays out kind of the the parameters of how we're supposed to do this, because it's not what I would have come up with. It's not what I would do naturally at all. So when he gives you the rules to play by, that's a helpful thing. But it's up to us to, at some point, be willing to submit to those rules. God graciously lets us know what he wants and he puts them there for our good and for the entire good of the community of believers. But we have to follow the rules. If we don't, it's a problem. When we do, it blesses us all. So here we go into first Peter chapter two, starting in verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you are, excuse me, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." All right, Peter um, starts this section out by addressing servants. And some of your translations may say household servants, and some of them may say slaves. And it's important that we make a distinction today 
you know, what a slave was then and, and what the way maybe the way we think of slaves. Because I think when we think of slavery, we probably think of a specific race of people who were kidnapped from their homeland, homeland and then sold to an owner and forced to, to serve him. In the New Testament, it had very little to do with race and it had a lot to do with your economic and social status. So, so we're talking about some different things here. Uh, oftentimes people who couldn't pay their debts would, would sell themselves into slavery. And they could, they could have the potential to even buy themselves back out of that if they, if, if they could. They were um, a huge part of Roman culture. It's estimated that about one-third of the population were made up by this group of people. And they did the majority of the work. The, the workforce was primarily these folks. Now, it's also important to point out that by laying um, down these rules for Christian servants to follow, Peter is not condoning or affirming the institution of slavery. I think a lot of Christians, when they read the Bible, if they see it in the Bible, they think like God's given it a thumbs up. You know, it's like you see in the Old Testament polygamy and it's like, well, God must be cool with that. No, it just because it's written in the Bible doesn't mean that's what he wants. Or, and so we got to remember that. This was a normal part of their society. And so Paul, uh, Peter, I'm going to do Peter and Paul all day long. Peter, Paul, not Mary. I know that. <laughs> Peter, sorry. Peter knows it's a normal thing, part of their society. So he's just letting these guys know what to expect. And the fact that Peter takes time to acknowledge this group of people, the lowest of the low in society, tells us that because they were Christians, they had the same value as everybody else. That's important to point out because we don't think that this Christianity changed everything. In the next chapter, he's going to, or the next section, he's going to talk about women in the same way. Women did not hold equal value in that culture, but Christianity puts them. There is no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male nor female. We are one in Christ. Every person is just as precious in God's sight as anyone else. Now, we don't have the same kind of servanthood in our society today. So I suppose the closest thing that we have that we can relate to would be um, kind of the relationship between a boss and an employee or maybe a teacher and a student. Or if you're in the military, like a drill sergeant to a maggot, I think is what they call him. Is that correct? I wasn't in the military, but I think I'm seeing some heads nod. So I think that's what they what they call them. Um, and, and I know that none of these things are like apples to apples comparison. I'm not even trying to to do that. But, but we also have to understand that this principle still applies to us in some way. And in fact, I would even argue that if God expects somebody in, in their position to do this well, what, is, what, is, what do you think he expects of somebody that isn't oppressed and, and held down like this? Probably more. It should be much easier for, for me to do this than somebody who's in that position in theory, right? <laughs> we'll get there. All right. So Peter starts out the section in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So there it is. Subject yourself to the one who has authority over you and do it with all respect. Easy enough, right? <laughs> not if you're like me. If you're like me hearing that, it causes my neck to immediately stiffen. It just, it does something. I tend to be kind of a, a rebel at heart. I've gotten better over the years. God is, is working that out of me, but that's kind of in me. So when I hear the idea that submit to authority, it, it just instantly raises my hackles. And yet the Bible calls us to voluntary, respectful submission to authority. Part of man's sinful condition is that we have a problem with authority now, some of you have it more than others. You know, you know who you are, uh, but we all have it to some degree. 
I know I definitely do. So if you tell me I can only have one, I want more than one. If you tell me, you know, if you try to limit my speed, I want to go faster than that. If you say, don't cross this line, that line becomes all I can think about. How can I do this? What can I, you know, I start getting into the mission impossible mode and trying to think, okay, I want to go over that line. This all started way back in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's authority. And they did, they did this because they had some kind of a notion that he was trying to keep something from them. And the minute they thought that, that, that they wanted it, they had to have it. So this is kind of like the conversation. It's funny to think about to me, but, you know, God creates everything good, perfect. And he says, you can have everything in my creation. You can enjoy it all. Just don't eat from that one tree. And they were, they were like, oh, so you're trying to keep us from something? And God would say, well, yeah, yeah, I am. Death, brokenness, and isolation. You know, sure, try to keep you from those things. And they're like, nice try, God, you know, (laughs) chomp. That's kind of the way it went. And that's what's been passed down to us. That's the way we we think. And here's the the, the truth that nobody wants to admit or talk about. Just became Easter. (laughs) Just for a second, but that was cool. Sorry. I I probably should learn to not say the things that pop into my head sometimes, but still working on that too. Here's the, here's the thing that really is the reality that none of us want to talk about. We have a problem with man's authority because we ultimately have a problem with God's authority. And that's hard for me to admit, but I know it's, I know it's the truth. And as people who have grown quite accustomed to getting our own way for a really long time now, having that change brings out the fight in us. It's kind of like if you, if you have a, if you raise a child and you never discipline them, you never tell them no. And then one day you think, you know what? I should probably start to do that different. This isn't working very good. Good luck with that. You know, they're small, but they're scrappy and they will fight you to the death to continue to to do what they want to do. I loved uh, this comment and and I loved it and I hated it because it just like stuck me in the heart when I read it. This is Dan Doriani and his commentary on first Peter. He says this, Most citizens of Western countries resist Peter's teaching. We treasure our independence, criticize our authorities, and honor our rebels. We don't like to submit to leaders unless we think they are worthy. And I read that and I'm like, is he like reading my mail? That describes me. Right now we are living in what I would call a you're not the boss of me society. You know what that is? Yeah, I see. Yeah, you're not the boss of me. I like saying it even. It just feels good. Like, you're not the boss of me. So it does something. People believe they are free and they shouldn't have to submit to anybody or anything, but that simply isn't reality. And I'm amazed at how much this has changed um, in my lifetime. I grew up in a time when it wasn't perfect, but authority was respected for the most part. Um, I, you know, got another old guy over there. Yeah. Uh, children generally respected their parents and other adults. If an adult came in and said, hey, you know, stop doing that, they, they did it. They didn't say, you're not the boss of me. And, you know, a policeman, were, if a policeman told you to do something, you did it. Now, I just, I literally just watched a video the other day. Of some, it was an older lady in a truck and the policeman stopped her and, and she, she would not do anything he said. She eventually just drove off. Like she didn't, like his authority didn't apply. Guess what happened to that lady? 
she got tased. You know, you almost, it's like, you could see it coming. She, and and you, if you watch the video, it wasn't like he started there. It just, it got to that point. But it's like, I never even thought about that as a kid. And my dad was a police officer, so that doesn't count. But other police officers, if they told you to do something, you respected that and you did it. That was normal. The office of the president was respected regardless of who was in the office. That was just normal. And all of that has just shifted. There's been a huge change in value somewhere along you know, this whole thing in our postmodern society. And I believe that part of the reason for this is that back in the day, as old people like to say, back in the day, being thought of as a good person was kind of the highest virtue to strive for. The idea of having integrity and a good reputation really mattered. But that's changed over time. And now the greatest virtue, and I'm going to put it in quotes, is, is being free. That's the highest virtue to strive for now is being free. People want to be able to say whatever they want to say, do whatever they want to do, identify however they want to identify, protest however they want to protest, live however they want to live, and they don't want anybody to tell them they can't or that it's wrong. And that's become kind of the norm now. And you see it on both sides, right? Whether you're rioting in downtown Portland or you're storming the Capitol, you're seeing both of these things exist. It's weird. Individual rights and personal freedom are way more important than being a person of good character. And the tragic thing is that this mindset doesn't just exist in the world. It's crept into the church because I see this now where Christians care more about their individual rights and personal freedoms than they do about living a holy, sacrificial life before God. And that means that we're not going to look a whole lot different than anybody else around us. And that's why this topic is so important. Now, it might be helpful for us to talk a little bit about what submission means and what it doesn't mean. When I think of what it means to submit, I think of in terms of like yielding when you're when you're on a on ramp and you're coming up onto the, the parkway, you have to you willingly get behind the car that's in front of you. That's called yielding. Right now, when you do that, you don't really you know think about it. It's just what's expected. It's what you what you do. You don't look over at the car and think, well, He's got a nicer car than me. I guess I'll yield this time. Or they look like their values align with mine. You know, we don't do, we don't have those conversations. You just, you do it because it's the right thing to do. It's kind of what's expected of us. It's the way things work. And, and Christians are called to do this, to yield. And we have two very good reasons to yield. One is to avoid the negative consequences that come from not yielding, right? If you don't yield, you end up smashing into a car and, you know, that's not good. It's that kind of thing. The other is that it, it pleases our father, And I don't think we think about this one much. Yielding is an act of worship to the Lord. Have you ever thought of it in that way? Verse 19 says, it is a gracious thing or a pleasing thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. The idea that I'm mindful of God in this, so I'm I'm okay, I can do this because I'm thinking of him. It's an act of worship when we do it. That means it's very pleasing to God when we yield and put ourselves second. That is the mindset a Christian is supposed to have. And it helps me also to know that I'm really submitting to God when I submit to the authorities that he's put in my life. Do you ever think of it that way? It's kind of like God has graciously put up yield signs all around for me to help me. Dan Doriani again says it this way, and I like this. God has woven authority structures all through society, indeed, all through creation. And we needlessly harm ourselves and miss the blessing of walking in his ways if we ignore those structures. 
So it's kind of like, you know, do you know why they put out bridge out ahead signs? You know why? They, it's, it's not to limit your freedom. <laughs> it's, it's, to, it's, for, it's for your good. So it helps me to think of authority as something that a loving father does for the kids he loves. It's kind of like God's, you know, you know, when you kid proof your house, when, when you have little kids, that's what God's doing with this. He's kid proofing the world for us in some way so that you can't just go and open up any cupboard or open any door. Or, the same idea applies. And that makes this authority that we're talking about, that we, that we resist so much, actually a gift from God. And every once in a while, we get glimpses of what things look like without it. You know what I mean? And it ain't pretty. Have you ever had those moments where you see like the power goes out in a big city or something like that and there's just the rules that don't apply anymore? It's crazy how quickly things go downhill. So praise God that we have these things. So knowing that our voluntary respectful submission pleases God and it's meant to protect us should give us some incentive. And I'm glad that Peter included the idea of being respectful because it is possible to obey somebody and disrespect them at the same time. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I can think of times when my kids, they did what I said, but in their heart, they were murdering me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. So respect is an important piece of this. It changes everything. So when God places someone over us in a position of authority, we should willingly yield to them and show them proper respect. And that sounds easy enough until we read the last part of verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, which literally means crooked. And so I immediately think, well, shouldn't this change things? Doesn't that let me off the hook at that point? No, we don't get to decide whether someone deserves our submission and respect. God does. And that means there will be times when we will have to show respect to somebody who's not respectable. That's hard. And you can almost see Peter anticipating the questions he's going to get from the church as he's writing this to them. Um, so, so it's kind of like all the what if questions that a good rebel like myself will come up with, like to find a way to get out of this. So the idea is like, what if the government is corrupt and stupid? That, that would be my question. Just hypothetically speaking. It wasn't a, that wasn't a statement. It wasn't a commentary on today. What if? And God would say, it's like a flow chart. Have I placed them in authority? And you would go down and say, yes. And he would say, then voluntary and respectfully submit to them. What if my boss is a jerk? Same, same thing. Did I place them in authority? Yes. Then, you know, what if my husband makes dumb decisions? That's next week. <laughs> same thing applies. Okay. We always try to find a loophole so that we get to decide when we submit and when we don't. Now, There is one loophole. I just wanted to see like all the rebels wake up. There's people out there like, was it loophole? Yeah, there is one. Don't get too excited though, because God does give us one, but it isn't so that we can be rebellious. It's so that we can be righteous. Christians are called to submit until it violates God's commands. And we see this laid out for us in Acts 5.29 when the Jewish religious leaders told the disciples they could no longer preach and teach Jesus. You remember that story in Acts 5? This is how Peter responded and the other apostles. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And this is an important principle because there's going to come a time when that, that happens and we need to be aware of that. I once had the pleasure of working for a crooked boss, as many of you probably have as well. Uh, it was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at a place called the Inkwell. 
And the guy's name was Jerry. Like, hello, Jerry. It just <laughs> comes right out. Uh, this guy, yeah, Jerry. This guy had no problem being dishonest. He, he had no problem taking advantage of everyone, including his employees. I actually caught him one time inadvertently. He'd rigged the time clocks to steal from the employees. And the idea was that he, he wanted to make it to where if you punched in at 10 tell in the morning, that it would round to, to eight. And if you punched out at 20 after five, it would round back up to five. But the guy he asked to do it, did it wrong. He did it the wrong way. So now everybody was getting overtime. So his plan, his plan to try to take ended up being, you know, and so the guy called me in one day and he said, can you figure this out? And I started looking, I'm like, and it wasn't the, it wasn't Jerry. It was the guy he had to do it. And he, and I told him, yeah, this is what's happening. It's rounding the wrong, you know, rounding ahead. So we're all getting more time. And he goes, oh, I know what happened. I went the wrong way. And I'm like, what do you mean exactly? So he had to fess up and tell me. So that's who this guy was. Well, one day, so we would get used copiers in and we would send them back out. And if a copier has, I know this is great, exciting stuff talking about copiers. Um, they, they have a little odometer in them, kind of like in your car that tells you how many copies are on them. And if they had a lot of copies on them, when you got them back in, you couldn't sell them for much money. But if they didn't, you sell them for a lot. So he told me one day to go in and turn the counter back so that we could sell it for more. Is that okay for a Christian to do? My boss in authority told me to do it. Now, Jesus wouldn't do that. And that's the litmus test. Would Jesus do that? No way. Because that would violate, that would displease his father. And it was an easy decision to make. I refused to do it because I knew God would be displeased with me. And that mattered way more to me than what this guy thought. But from that day forward, guess what? My boss hated me. I mean, just hated me. He would look at me and dis- with just disgust and be like, oh, there's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes over there. And I remember thinking like, hey, if I'm the kind of guy that would do that, guess what I would do to you as well? You know, I would cheat you as well. But he didn't think of it that way. <laughs> so I continued to work hard for him and treat him with respect. And, and I tried to win him over, but I never did. Jerry. <laughs> when we make the choice to obey God over man, we can expect to be treated harshly for it. And that's what it says in verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It really pleases your heavenly dad. When you do what's right in his eyes, regardless of the consequences. And I have to admit, I felt really good standing up to this crooked boss. I mean, I felt like Martin Luther, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. It wasn't much, but that's how I felt. I felt like I got to do something. Now I got to stand up for righteousness. It felt great. And this is what the apostles felt like too, after they chose to obey God and keep telling people about Jesus. It says that they called them back in and it is in chapter five of Acts verses 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I love verse 41. It says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. <laughs> this is crazy. You see them walking on the street, like high-fiving each other. You know, man, can you believe we, got, we, we took a beating for Jesus? I, I can't help but think that knowing that Jesus suffered dishonor for us, it's just a privilege to be able to do a little thing for him doesn't compare at all, but it's, it's wonderful. And I also love that it spurred them on to preach Jesus more, even more fearlessly. And that's what we read in verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's what it did for them. 
Now, in verse 20, Peter does make an important distinction because I think some people think, well, I'll just go out and try to, you know, do this, you know, all the time. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So it doesn't mean just, you know, go out and look for trouble. And I think some Christians do that. There are some people that think they're being persecuted for their allegiance to Jesus when really they're just kind of jerks and they, they're getting what they deserve. Right? You can't say, you know, the man's out to get me. And it's like, well, probably not because you're a Christian. It's probably because you're speeding and, you know, drinking while you drive. And you're, you know, if you're doing those kinds of things, you can't, that doesn't count as like, you know, I got points from God, not the same thing. You're just getting what you deserve. So Peter has some instructions for us to live by, but now he's going to give us even more help. Some of us learn by reading, some of us learn by example. So he's going to give us a great example of what it looks like to submit in the way that God wants us to. And he's going to give us the example of Jesus. In verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So we don't need to look any further than to Jesus himself to to see how to do this. And he knows exactly what it's like to voluntarily and respectfully submit to authority. So he's not asking us to do something that that he wouldn't do himself or didn't do himself. And I love that about Jesus. Uh, Every time you see something in the Bible where he's asking us to do something, it's something he was willing to do also. And I want you to think for a second about the way Jesus was treated. Just imagine how he was treated when all he did was help people and tell the truth. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So you see that Jesus didn't speak out and he didn't act out. And did he have a right to? Did he have a reason to? Yeah. More than anybody else. He could have said, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything wrong. Therefore, I don't deserve this treatment. Call a legion of angels and just do business. That's what I would have done. (laughs) Good thing I'm not, you know, in that spot. But what he did instead is he yielded. He yielded. That's our example. We don't always need to speak out. We don't always need to act out. And we don't always need to fight. There are times when we are called to yield. And I have to ask myself, how was he able to show such restraint when he was treated so unfairly and he could have done something about it? How did he show that restraint? And this is how he did it. He, he put everything into God's inbox. That, that's, that's what I see here. So, you know, we have all these things on our, on our desk in our life of things that we're fired up about, things that aren't right over here, things we don't like over here, things that are happening over here that we can't stand. Gather all that up into a neat pile and put it into God's inbox. Instead of demanding his rights and making threats, it says he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So that's what it comes down to. It all comes down to trust. Am I going to take matters into my own hands, or am I going to entrust myself to the one who will bring justice one day? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Do I trust God's providence? Do I trust his grand plan? Do I trust that when he said justice or that he will do justice, that vengeance is his and that he will repay? Do I believe that or do I think it's up to me? Do I have faith in the one who sent his only son to save me from my sin? When we learn to trust God like this, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. You know, your blood pressure just starts to go down because you don't have to you don't have to worry about this stuff. When we learn to trust God like this, we are set free. 
And the ironic thing is, when I talked about like before, how everybody wants freedom, they want they want that idea. So we try to gain this by speaking out, by acting out, by fighting, but that doesn't make us free. It just puts you in a prison of angst. I, I mean, I, when I stop and think about all those things and I, I get all fired up, it doesn't free me. But when I trust in God, it does. And then we can start to use our freedom in Christ to do good for others instead of using it to promote our own personal rights, freedom, and successes. We can use our freedom in Christ for the glory of God and live in a way that models Christ and draws men to him. And that's exactly what happens when we voluntarily set ourselves aside and model godly submission. We display the kingdom of God. We display the glory of Christ. And if Jesus wasn't too good to become a servant for us, we aren't too good to do the same. So, you, you know, the old, you know, the movie and the, and the phrase, as you wish. I, I love to think of that. That was Princess Bride. And again, you know, we don't need to fall in love with our authorities. And that way, like it falls, it falls a little bit short. But but that idea of when somebody asks us to do something, we just think, as you wish, I can do this. I can do that. And again, who's it really for? Not for your boss. It's not for your governor. It's for the Lord. So as you wish, as you wish, as you wish. I can do that all day long if I keep him in mind and I think about what he's done for me. Makes it really simple. So for employees, Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The teachings of God, the teachings of the Bible, we will make them look beautiful when we do these things. You know, but the opposite is true too. When we whine and complain a lot, talk bad about authority, talk bad about everyone in authority, how does that match up with our claim that God is our Heavenly Father, the one who takes care of us? You ever thought of it in those terms? I remember early on in our marriage, um, I used to complain a lot about not having much money. And we didn't. But, you know, I, I'd, I'd bring it up a lot. Like, oh, you guys can afford meat? You know, oh, we can't afford meat. Oh, you guys have that kind of car? We, you know, we're just driving that. I always said, you know, I was always just whining about not having any money. And one day I, I got just convicted. It's like, what are you doing, man? Who are you ultimately talking about when you're saying this? You're saying my heavenly father isn't taking very good care of me. You imagine going to your kid's room one day and just kind of putting your ear to the door and hearing him say, man, I can't believe how lousy these parents of mine are. They barely feed me. They don't give me any good. I don't have any good clothes. I mean, you feel horrible as a dad. But this is what we talk. This is what we sound like so often. And the world is listening to that. You know, the truth was for me and my wife, we raised five kids. She was a stay-at-home mom. I was a copy repairman. And you know how often we did without what we needed? Never, not once. He took such good care of us and he's taking good care of you now, Christian. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that. Even if everything looks like it's going, you know, to heck in a handbasket, I think I can say that out there. He's taking care of you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You know, the way we, we do this, if we do it well, we may end up winning others to Christ because of it. I love that thought but you will definitely please your father 
and be rewarded for it in his kingdom. Because Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And never forget what Jesus willingly submitted himself to so that you could be set free. That's how we'll end today in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep, strain, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, thank you so much that you have put authority in our life for our good and for your glory. Help us, Father, to view it differently and to to submit, Lord, to be willing to yield the same way that Jesus was willing to yield. He is our example to follow. And Lord, may this be a a church where it's just evident that, that we want to be second and we want you to be first in everything. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.